This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. And Lisa Brady. The crowded Republican presidential field has slowly but surely been shrinking. And the latest exit was a surprise announcement because of the timing. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott had been expected to at least remain through the Iowa caucuses and had solid fundraising, also qualifying for debates. But he failed to gain traction and said voters were telling him it wasn't his time. So Scott suspended his campaign and held off on making any endorsement right away, though one of his major donors immediately pivoted to Nikki Haley. The Democratic National Committee calls the entire Republican field extreme as the party downplays President Biden's low poll numbers and criticizes former President Trump as dangerous. We got both sides on the state of the 2024 race, speaking with Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and host of the Ben Dominich podcast, and Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist and surrogate for the 2020 Biden campaign. We made some edits for time and thought you might like to hear the whole thing. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the weekday Fox News Rundown podcast. Now here's Ben Dominich on the Fox News Rundown Extra. So, uh, first off, the president's campaign um, continues to talk about progress and argue, you know, they need four more years to finish the job. Is that a strategy that could work with voters if they say it often enough and stick to that script? The White House's decision to try to lean into all the different mistakes that they've made over the past year, uh, really when it comes to even branding the state of the economy as Bidenomics, is something that Really, a lot of Democrats wish that they wouldn't have done in the first place, uh, but they seem unwilling to really consider any alternative. Unfortunately, I think this is a situation where the White House is so set in its ways that they don't know anything else really to do regarding the economy other than to embrace it as being the consequence of the president's decisions. That's something that is very risky, according to the you know winds of the economy one way or the other. And whether you believe that Joe Biden is someone who is responsible for the state of inflation and uh, mortgage rates in America or not, uh, it certainly does not help matters that he seems willing to embrace that as being something that he's proud of, uh, even as Americans are struggling with it. His party really wishes that he would do something different. Mm-hmm. I mean, Republicans have made the argument against the Biden agenda, both back in the midterms and again in the off-year elections this month. Um, and Democrats seem to have better results than many expected. So should Republicans be changing their message in any way? I don't think that when it comes to the economy, the Republicans should be changing their message all that much. You know, given that you had the kind of overperformance among Democrats in a number of different midterm elections and also in these off-year elections in 2023, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of things to consider around that. What are the different factors at play? But one thing that seems to be consistent is that people are not assigning the degree of responsibility for the state of the economy uh, to other Democrats the way they are to Joe Biden. If you look at his personal ratings, the way that people rate his performance, uh, then clearly the economy is going to be something that is an Achilles heel for him. But I think that, you know, in this current context, uh, there's not a lot that Democrats or Republicans can do to really change the dynamics around that. 
President Biden has clearly embraced this economy as being something that he's proud of, that he believes is a, re- a result of the different policy pursuits that he's had. Uh, and Democrats are going to have to go along with that. And Republicans in response are clearly going to you know, use every piece of data that they have about the state of the economy that looks negative uh, to say you can't trust Joe Biden with another four years of running things. Could this be shaping up as kind of a tug of war issues wise between the economy and abortion? So there's a couple of different interesting factors here, I think, when it comes to analyzing whether abortion is as significant as some people have said when it comes to the different election outcomes. One thing to consider is the difference between Republicans who leaned into trying to define themselves according to the abortion issue versus those who really ran away from it. In Virginia, for instance, you saw the decision on the part of Governor Glenn Youngkin and other Republicans who were running for state Senate in particular uh, to lean into uh, describing their opinions on the issue, according to all the polling data that they had behind the scenes. That included embracing a 15-week ban with all of the exceptions and more uh, that people, uh, you know, according to the various polls, uh, were overwhelmingly in support of. And that's something that they ran a couple of ads on and certainly tried to you know, send as a message when it came to the campaign. They ended up coming one seat short of winning the state Senate. And that's something that I think is, in fact, an overperformance given the blue nature of Virginia and given the kind of, of spending challenge that they had. They were outspent by a significant amount of money. Uh, on the flip side of that, I think that there are certainly cases where you can say the lack of response from Republicans led to uh, a real challenge for them on the abortion issue. Uh, Daniel Cameron, someone who a lot of Republicans nationally look to as a rising star in politics in Kentucky, uh, you know, never really found the message that he could put on air to push back against a very powerful uh, and a, a significant indictment of uh, a mobile uh, of a sorry of a pro-choice uh you know sort of uh, approach to things basically that uh, cameron was someone who was taking an extreme view on the matter as attorney general he had had to defend uh, a a view on uh, the abortion issue that was viewed by many people polled as being more extreme by, by being kind of uh, out of touch with the general electorate that's something that Cameron really never defended or pushed back against in any kind of way. He never ran ads on the subject, uh, and he never really found the messaging on it. The, I think the takeaway that a lot of smart Republicans are having is that if you are going to take a position on this issue, and you really need to, given the uh, inevitability of, of not being able to avoid it as something that uh, Democrats are going to lean into hard, then you need to adopt a position and uh, stick to it and be very vocal about it. Let people know where you stand. Uh, and that's something that I think is going to flow into the next year's elections, uh, certainly you know, on uh, the Senate level and on down uh, when it comes to Republican efforts across the country. Senator Tim Scott suspending his campaign, though several other you know candidates with low poll numbers remain. How fast and how much does the GOP field need to consolidate to give anyone a chance even of challenging Donald Trump in the primaries? Well, I think it's already happened. I think that Tim Scott and Mike Pence dropping out over the past uh, couple of weeks is actually something that really does lead to consolidation. Uh, those who are supporting Chris Christie are probably people who you know, are going to be a tough pull for Republican candidates generally. Uh, and I think that those who are supporting 
of Avek Ramaswamy, you know, regardless of of uh, you know what you think of him, are going to be people who are likely to go to Donald Trump uh, if Avek is not the ballot as potentially a younger version of the same kind of thing. I think that in this instance, you know, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are really the only alternatives. They're people who, uh, according to the New York Times polling, uh, do beat Joe Biden. And they certainly have the kind of resources available to them uh, to make use of any kind of early success within Republican primaries in order to really challenge the former president. But at the same time, we have to consider that, you know, the overwhelming odds are in favor of the former president. He basically has all of the advantages of incumbency. And so from the beginning, it was clear that it was going to be an uphill battle for for either of these candidates to really be able to take a hold. But what you have right now is a situation where Ron DeSantis has basically staked out Iowa as being his Alamo, uh, where Nikki Haley has staked out her own state of, of South Carolina as being the place where she's going to make a stand. And if either of them are able to win either of those states, I think we've got a real contest on our hands. Ultimately, though, we have to remember that in 2016, you know, in 2012, in 2008, uh, Iowa went to Republicans who did not ultimately win the nomination for president. And that's very possible this time around, including for Governor DeSantis. Mm. I mean, Democrats presumably will keep hammering a message about MAGA Republicans being extreme. How do Republicans counter that effectively if Trump is the nominee again? The argument from Democrats that Republicans are extreme has a lot more truck in an environment in which people are satisfied with Democrat policies. In an environment in which they're not satisfied with Democrat policies, that invocation of extremism doesn't really have as much play. If people are satisfied with what they see from inflation, from mortgage interest rates, from the from the kind of effect on the day-to-day cost of living uh, that they see coming out of of Washington and of course, you know, other factors within the economy, then they're, I think, very sensitive to the fact that they don't want to be nominating or approving anybody who is uh, in any way viewed as risky. But I think that in this current context, the level of dissatisfaction that we see from Americans across the board, including those Americans who are in the independent category, uh, really does lead us to an, to a situation where we have to grapple with uh, a a real challenge for Joe Biden or for the Republican candidate, whoever the nominee is, uh, to try to win those independent voters to their side. And if Joe Biden is incapable of sending the message to them that he's a steady hand when it comes to the economy, when it comes to foreign policy, national security, the border, crime, all of the other issues that are dragging him down, uh, then I think he has a real problem on his hands. And that's what has Democrats very concerned in terms of reporting about behind-the-scenes machinations and all the other considerations that are flowing into his campaign. What about RFK Jr.'s new independent campaign? Does that have the potential to hurt the Republican nominee more than President Biden? Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign is something that I think is is very interesting and not just as a protest vote. Uh, he has an appeal that is gained by going outside the typical media landscape, including being very successful when it comes to the podcast environment, uh, someone who is connected with a lot of different people across the country, uh, especially in the wake of the COVID experience. Given his opposition to a top-down governmental control on the health policy side of things and a number of other issues. That being said, he's someone who's never actually won office, elected office at any level. Uh, and uh, it's something that I think is is particularly challenging, you know, given that he's not somebody who can necessarily self-fund to the degree that, you know, a billionaire candidate or someone like that could. 
RFK Jr. is someone who I think is going to get some protest votes. But what we typically see is a situation where someone like that polls relatively high at the beginning of the process, and then those numbers diminish as time goes on, and people tend to sort of recognize, well, I want my vote to count. I have to choose between one of these two major party candidates. Um, that being said, we could really end up in a situation, given the fact that you know, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin has said that he's going to be uh, stepping down and is giving a serious consideration uh, potentially to running as a third party candidate. You could end up with multiple third party candidates, all of whom are dragging away from the top, especially in a contest in which we know from the polls there are large uh, there is a significant plurality of people who are opposed to voting for either Donald Trump or for Joe Biden. Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and host of the Ben Dominich podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Great to be with you. We'll talk to you again. Thanks again. Now, here's Democratic strategist Kevin Walling on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, um, first off, the president has accused the media of only focusing on negative polls. <laughs> um, there are many, though, that show him faring poorly on a number of key issues, including the economy. Should Democrats be more worried about that? Uh, listen, I, I, you know, I think polls at this point, a year out from the election, really don't show the actual nature of what the race is going to look like. You know, I remember, you know, back in 2011, Mitt Romney versus, you know, Barack Obama. Mitt Romney was leading, you know, Barack Obama in 10 of the 11 battleground states on an average of, of five points in each of those different states. So I think these early polls are, are pretty unreliable. I think what we've got to do is just hunker down, highlight, you know, the president's accomplishments, especially on the economy, focus on that, you know, flip a lot of people's perspective when it comes to that. You know, the president is underwater with perceptions of his handling of the economy. And I, and I think we've got to do a better job, you know, breaking through and connecting with those folks and telling them, you know, all the stuff that they're that the administration has accomplished, right? You got these feelings out there and it's tough to shift those feelings, but we've got a year to do it. There is no escaping, though, the concern, at least among some people, about his age, his overall fitness for a job that's demanding in the best of times, but even more so with wars and U.S. forces getting attacked and inflation. If he were to consider not running again, What's the point of no return for that decision in terms of timing? Well, again, I mean, I, I, there's all kinds of different uh, variables involved in terms of, of timing when states are you know, closing down the, the process for getting on the ballot. Um, you know, the, obviously the convention that's uh, going to happen in Chicago. Um, but listen, you know, this is a this is a president who, when the war in Ukraine broke out, you know, took a seven hour flight back and forth, a 10 hour train ride to be in the heart of, uh, you know, the conflict to show our solidarity with the Ukrainians. This is a guy when the the hostilities broke out uh, with Hamas's attack on uh, Israel. Flew to Israel that week to demonstrate our commitment. So this is a guy who uh, keeps a rigorous regu rigorous schedule. Uh, is out there, you know, projecting strength around the world. He's going to be leading, you know, the the free world uh, with uh, President Xi Jinping's uh, visit to uh, the Bay Area this week, projecting power on the world stage there. So you know, again, as the president said. You know, judge him by, you know, uh, what he's doing and what he's accomplishing. And I think we've got a story to tell in terms of the vigor of, of the president. The thinking is usually that economic issues matter most to voters. But Israel's fight against Hamas in Gaza is 
really hitting home for the president. Pro-Palestinian protests outside the White House, outside of one of his Delaware homes. How dangerous is it for the campaign or is it still you know, not likely that foreign policy plays a major role a year from now? Yeah, it's a great question, Lisa. You know, that's always the, the question. Is it going to be a foreign policy election or is it going to be a more of a de- domestic policy, you know, issues like economy abortion election? Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, the president is doing the right thing when it comes to Israel uh, and standing shoulder to shoulder with the people who were attacked on October 7th. Uh, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, if he loses support because of that, I think he can keep his head high uh, because, he's know, he knows he's doing the right thing. But but clearly there's an erosion, especially with support among some young people by uh, Muslim American Democrats, Arab American De- Democrats uh, with the president's support. We've got a year to go. Uh, in terms of how this process is going to play out, how the process in the Middle East is going to play out. Um, and he might, with his uh, stance, bring over more moderate Republicans who view uh, you know, the president's steadfast support of Israel as a, as a good thing and projecting strength abroad, kind of you know, reestablishing that Reagan coalition, almost strong on national defense um, on the international stage, which he's doing uh, when it comes to Ukraine, when it comes to Israel, when it comes to Taiwan, uh, and taking a, a firm stance there, saying that we will, in fact, defend uh, Taiwan with American uh, resources and support. So maybe that is, you know, indicative of of a new coalition that this president can build in the year to come. What about the independent run of RFK Jr. and the potential for a third party run by Senator Joe Manchin, for that matter? Should that be part of the Biden-Harris campaign calculus at this point? Should they be changing anything? It's absolutely a part of the calculus, Lisa, and it's a great question. Listen, back in 2020, uh, we really didn't see any kind of strong um, third-party uh, campaigns. It was mostly between, obviously, the pre- now president and former president. Just about 2% of Americans uh, voted for a third-party candidate. Clearly, that was not the case in 2016. I am more concerned as a Democrat uh, with Jill Stein's campaign, for example, uh, on the Green Party, because the Green Party naturally has ballot access uh, in the 50 states uh, could provide an alternative, uh, again, as I said, for some of the young people uh, potentially that are frustrated with the president's support of Israel. I'm less concerned about Bobby Kennedy Jr. Uh, in that uh, it's difficult in many states to get on the ballot as a third party candidate without a party backing. So if he, for example, was you know flirting with the Libertarian Party, uh, which he, he's, he has said he's not going to run with, uh, that would be more of a concern just because he can certainly run. He can certainly make a lot of noise. But at the end of the day, if he's not on the ballot in a number of key states, especially battleground states, it's not going to make a difference. Similar with no labels, I'm watching closely their uh, fight for ballot access in a, in a, def- a number of different states. I think they, at last count, have got about 15 or so states, but I'm hopeful. I know I was part of the, the group that uh, organized no labels to begin with. I'm hopeful you've got reasonable Democrats there that would see if they become a spoiler to uh, the president. They have indicated that they will pull back and not do that if it's a Trump uh, versus Biden dynamic. The president's campaign argues that MAGA Republicans have stood in the way. They need four more years to finish the job. It's not the first time one party or the other has made that kind of argument about needing more time to finish what they've started. Does that actually resonate with voters? I hope it does. I think, you know, we'll we'll spend a lot of money talking to voters about this and a lot of organizers having these conversations. The president has a lot of unfinished uh, work when it comes to bringing down the cost of more prescription drugs. He, drugs. He's been successful uh, on that front, but there's more to do on achieving child care, on strengthening education. All of these things that the president is focusing on uh, in his reelection campaign, and you compare that to the leader 
of the Republican Party right now who talked about, you know, locking up vermin, uh, you know, in a speech in New Hampshire. This is Donald Trump who who smacks of uh, fascism, really, in, in this address that he gave where he uh, indicated that he's not worried about foreign adversaries like China that he's coddled up to, but is more interested in fighting individuals at home, fellow Americans. That that should give us all pause. So the president is going to campaign on ideas, on strengthening the economy as he's been doing, on those kind of things, Lisa, to your point, that we haven't been able to get done in the first uh, administration. And, and again, it's a comparison. Elections are a choice between two different worldviews. And you compare that again to the, the, the all-out fascism that we saw on display, frankly, in New Hampshire. Is there any concern or should there be concern that fundraising could take a hit from the you know, pro-Palestinian protests and the the fact that those protesters, some of them anyway, are accusing this president of supporting genocide. Well, listen, I mean, I, I look at uh, Virginia as an example in the, in the most uh, recent election, Democrats outraised uh, and outspent, uh, you know, their Republican counterparts uh, while this was going on. Obviously, the, the attack from Hamas was on October 7th. We had the elections uh, in Virginia a month later uh, and overperformed in most of those races, taking back obviously the House of Delegates and, and keeping the state Senate. So, uh, you know, I, I'm confident that the uh, the campaign will have the resources they need. They've outraised, you know, all the Republicans combined uh, in the first two quarters uh, thus far in the race. So I, I, I'm confident that that uh, the president's campaign will have the resources to compete. Democratic strategist and former 2020 Biden campaign surrogate Kevin Walling, thank you so much for your time. Lisa, great to be with you. Thanks for the conversation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.